I, I don't know if I'm going to get the opportunity to share this with everyone later on, but um, Sarah uh, and I just want to let our church family know how grateful we are to the Lord for you. Um, If you're new here, I'm Randy. I'm a ball baby. I, uh, <laughs> but 30 years ago, uh, we moved here to Champaign. And uh, this is our home. And you are our family. And after second service, we're going to have a reception to thank God for this blessing. And, uh, and it has just truly been a blessing. It's really, really an opportunity for us to say thank you to God for you. And... Um, some have asked me if this is a retirement reception, and uh, the answer is not that I'm aware of. <laughs> so <laughs> there's an elders meeting Tuesday night, and uh, come back Sunday. Well, next Sunday we'll find out. But uh, but uh, Sarah and I are just grateful to God um, through you. Yeah, he has given He's given us, given me meaningful employment through you. He's given us a home to rear our family through you. He's given us spiritual brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in his kingdom. Through you, um, he's given me income to pay for my son's education. Through you, he's given me uh, even continued learning opportunities so that, um, so that I can bring my best to this sacred desk. Um, Sarah and I don't exactly know when this happened. But, but one morning we woke up and we'd fallen in love with you. I just don't know how else to say it. Um, it makes it easy to be your pastor. And look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Look at the lives that have been changed. Look at the decisions for Christ that have been made. Look at the pastors and missionaries that this congregation has sent out. And look at how our church is more and more reflecting the reality of heaven in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, where the, every tongue and tribe and nation and language and ethnicity are gathered together for no other reason than to worship and serve the one true king who will call our name and send him, and we'll run out of the grave. Amen? <laughs> Hasn't he been good? When we came to Windsor Road, Sarah and I met a family, uh, the Jim Jackson family, Jim and Teresa Jackson, and uh, their three lovely daughters. Uh, um, Jim Action Jackson. Jim was the Marine officer instructor at the Navy ROTC unit at uh, the university. And um, so my first year here was his last year in his three-year tour uh, here at the university. Before I met Jim, I have to confess I had a blind bias against the military. Um, but then I met Jim. Disciplined, 
um, man of integrity. He was a man's man. Uh, when, Jim, when Jim turned 40, he ran 40 miles. That, that was breakfast. Yeah. Uh, he was a warrior and a godly man and uh, loved Christ. Jim did not become a Christian until he had been in the Marines. So he was a Marine before uh, he came to Christ, and then Christ got a hold of his life, and then, and then he was a Marine for Christ. And uh, lovely wife, Teresa, three beautiful daughters, um, servant leader. He was compassionate, tough. Um, and he did not suffer fools. He had a way of asking fog-cutting leadership questions. Um, I used to work out with Jim, and I could never keep up. <laughs> uh, but uh, because of my time spent with Jim, I became a better man. In fact, after they moved, when I would get together with Jim on the occasional visits, I would look forward to Jim coming, and then I would just become a better man in anticipation of his presence. And then with him, and then after he left, it was kind of like a presence that lingered. Uh, became a better man, better husband, better father, better leader. And the th thing of it is, Jim didn't give me six strategies or seven steps or anything like that. It was just his very presence that made you better. And uh, Jim died 20 years ago. I miss him. And I would want you to know him and meet him so that you could experience what I experienced. Um, and if you had asked Jim what his secret was, one word, Christ, Christ, Christ's presence has made me the man of God that I am, Jim would say. And I mean, he's one of several that God has put in my life. Presence. Presence, not technique. Presence, not principles. Presence, not tips. Presence is what produces a disciple. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about That's my big idea. Here it is. Presence, not principles, produces disciples. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Presence, not principles, produces disciples. Presence, not principles, produces disciples. Not the principles are bad. It's not that tips aren't helpful. It's not the technique, is it? It's, but, but presence, not principles, produces disciples. We see this big idea in a passage of Scripture I'd like you to turn to, the New Testament book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 5, and I want to read verses 22 to 25. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, uh, please, I ask you uh, to take a copy. It's in the pouch in front of you. And it's on page 975. And if you, if you don't have your own copy, we'd love for you to receive that copy there. Put your name in it and receive it as a gift here from the church. 
Every Christian has been gifted with the very presence of Christ, and it's that presence which produces in us what we could never produce in our own self. And so in this season of the simple commission, where we are examining and practicing Christ's commission to make disciples, Christ charged us to make disciples, to issue an invitation to become an apprentice of Christ, going on his behalf, baptizing in his name, teaching to obey everything he has commanded us. The question, the question is a valid question. What will someone look like when they become a follower of Christ? When someone becomes a fully formed follower of Jesus, what will that person look like? Is it just more church attendance? Is it just more giving? Is it just more church activity, more religious deeds? What will we look like when we are fully formed in Christ? And the Apostle Paul answers that question in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's Word. So our purpose, our aim as a church family is that as a result of spending time in God's Word with God's people, more and more we will become like God's Son. That our lives are not led by our moods. Nor are our lives led by the political climate. Nor are our lives led by the economic uncertainty. Or by any outer circumstances. Instead, we are propelled by the presence of the Holy One about whom it's said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, He gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And as a result of that, we now, now, Live in Him. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. And because of who you are, sons and daughters of God through faith, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart so that now you cry, Abba, Father, dear Father. It's a very intimate term, Father. Because you have Christ's Holy Spirit in your life. The same spirit that dominated Jesus in his ministry. That spirit has been flooded upon us individually and corporately as a body. I'm talking about the very presence of the eternal Holy Spirit of Christ who produces in us what we could never produce on our own. Fruit, carpos, carpos. On three, say that, one, two, three. Carpos, now you know Greek. 
crop, produce, singular. Notice it's fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. Because you don't get to choose which fruit you like. It's a ninefold produce, nine dimensional portrait of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul compares the fruit of the Spirit in verse 19 with the works, that's plural, of the flesh, the fruit, the singular, the unifying fruit of the Spirit with the the plural, siloed, many works of the flesh. Verse 19, you see that? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Flesh. Flesh, let's talk about that. Flesh in this context is not dermatology. It's anthropology. It's not about anatomy. It's about attitude. It's not about skin. It's about a mindset opposed to the purposes of God. Don't be fooled. Deep within this ministerial appearance that you see exists a dark, dangerous, rebel kingdom of one. It's almost like there's another person living inside of me. that produces a readiness to sin, a readiness to sin. And it's so real, it doesn't take much to unleash anger or envy or any one of these works of the flesh, you see? The flesh is a rebel spirit against the Almighty Father. I'm thinking of the pastor Martin Luther, who called the flesh the curved in on oneself. I just couldn't help but think of Gollum in Lord of the Rings, you know, that curved in on oneself. There he is. He's living inside. It's this rebel spirit. And it's the, notice it's the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the spirit. It's not the works of the spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. For when the bumper crop of Christ-likeness appears in your life, you can't take credit for it. You have to say, Lord, it's all of you. It's your produce in and through my life. All of you. I mean, can't you tell when someone is straining to be kind? <laughs> now, why did Paul write these verses? I mean... You know, he just didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll just have a nice devotional time and write these verses. Why? No, he wrote these verses in a context. And, and Paul was writing Christians in a region of the Roman Empire called Galatia, the congregations of the, the area of Galatia. It's, it's, it's modern-day Turkey. And he's correcting uh, two types of crazy that's going on in these congregations. Two types of crazy. And let's talk about those two types. They're, the first type is, is performancism. Performancism. 
Uh, performancism is trying to validate your identity and worth by your accomplishments. So Jesus plus dietary regulations of the Hebrew scriptures equals salvation. It's adding to Jesus. Or Jesus plus the uh, Hebrew ritual of circumcision. And, and, and Paul is trying to correct that. Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Performanceism. And it's not just something that happens inside the church realm. It happens outside the church realm in our culture. Here's what I mean. You all know that I, I enjoy uh, you know, exercising and cycling and, and strength training and, and body pump and all that. But you know, there's a difference between exercise as good for us versus exercise as your righteousness. You know? Oh, you haven't worked out today. Oh. <laughs> and you're at the custard cup. Oh. Okay, well, all right, we'll put you, put, put you on our prayer list. <laughs> Nancy Anderson asked me what kind of food I wanted for our reception. I said celery. <laughs> I did not. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's like, well, celery. I mean, that would be more righteous than oatmeal cookies with raisins, right? <laughs> We're going to have oatmeal cookies with raisins Performanceism. Um, one author put it this way. Diet is no longer what we put into our mouths. It is a meticulous score sheet of personal and social righteousness. The measure by which we determine our own value and other people's. Dieting has become the justifying story of our lives. Ah, performanceism. That's one type of crazy that's going on in Galatians. Oh, but there's more. There's another kind of crazy. Performanceism versus do as I pleaseism. Yeah. Because some are saying, oh, grace is free. I'm free to do what I want. I don't have to change. Paul says, not so fast. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here you have in this congregation, you've got this elder brother performanceism, parable of the prodigal son, elder brother legalistic performanceism, and then you have this younger brother, do as I pleaseism. And to this madness, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace in reference to God, patience, kindness, goodness in reference to our relationships with one another, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in relationship to ourselves. You see that? God, others, self. That's what's going on here. Verse 23 says, Against such things there is no law. 
What does that mean? Against such things there is no law. It means that no sane government would ever outlaw patience or gentleness or self-control. And no sane government could ever pass a law demanding love, joy, peace, etc. How would you enforce that? Henry Mitchell is a pastor and professor. He's still alive. He's 100 years old. And he has influenced uh, untold lives, pastors, uh, for the gospel. He wrote about these verses. Rather than counseling the Galatians to do the law, Paul urges them to surpass the law by the power of the Spirit. And why? Because the Spirit transforms lives. The Spirit transforms us. Then the Spirit can transform our world. Can you imagine what our nation would look like if the Spirit's presence, ninefold fruit, existed and flourished throughout our country? What would that do in the halls of government, in, the, in, the, uh, in business, in schools? What would that do with our civility and conversations and social media? What would your family look like with the nine-dimensional portrait of Christ exhibited by these traits? Your own life, your marriage, against fleshly divisiveness that's infecting the Galatian churches, God offers his son, his son's spirit for flourishing. And when we cooperate with the Spirit's desires, we become the people in whom Christ is formed. So the question is, do we want to cooperate with Christ? Do we want to be the kind of people whose presence in the lives of others makes their lives more and more like Christ? Do we want to be that Jim Jackson to someone else? Well, yes, we do. And yes, it's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge. And these verses tell us why it's a challenge. Two words. Two words. First, fruit. Fruit. And here's the deal on that. Fruit takes time. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the mushroom farm of the Spirit. Most spiritual growth is slow growth. Please hear me. Please pay attention. I, I want to save you some grief on this. I, I, I ask you to make peace with what I'm about to say. Most spiritual growth is slow growth. I, I, I want to save you from bouncing around, from relationship to relationship, marriage to marriage, job to job, church to church, frustrated because what you want isn't happening fast enough. That's the flesh at war. The fruit of the Spirit means that most growth will be slow growth. Yes, there are growth spurts. They are few and occasional. Most of the time, our becoming more like Christ will be slow. Paul says so in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. I would agree with the pastor who said that in his ministry, more people give up their Christian faith because of the slowness of their sanctification instead of persecution. They're just tired. They're just flat tired. 
tired of daily self-denial, tired of relapsing, tired of an oppressive culture, tired of walking by faith and not by sight, disillusioned by poor leadership, that's, that's legit, but some of it is self-induced because our, you know, our high-speed culture follows us to church and we just kind of want to get to the bottom line. And maybe it's even pride. The apostle Peter said, Lord, everybody else may grow tired, but not me. Even Christian publishing is quick to produce tips and techniques to make it sound easier than it really is. Whoever gave us the notion that Christian maturity is as quick as instant oatmeal, well, they didn't get it from Scripture. Scripturally, we're in the ag business. And we're farmers who plant seeds. Galatians 6, 7. Whatever you sow, you reap. Listen, nobody's surprised about what's coming out of the fields out there. And it didn't get planted this morning. Seeds slowly sprout. Crops slowly emerge. We plow, we sow, we water, and we wait. And when the seed of God's Word enters your life and you read it and contemplate it and memorize it and think about it throughout the day and delight in it and then practice it, guess what happens? The Spirit produces fruit through the accumulation of daily littles. Daily littles. An old pastor named Horatio Bonar said that. Horatio. Daily littles. The Christian life is a great thing which consists of the accumulation of little things. Christianity is not little, but consists of little things. Like avoiding little evils, little sins, little inconsistencies, little weaknesses, little follies, little indiscretions, little acts of indecision, little bits of shoddiness, and little indifferences to the cares of others. And then it consists of attention to the little duties of the day, little words, little looks, little tones, little encouragements, little acts of tenderness, patience, quiet kindness, anonymous generosity, anonymous generosity. Daily littles. Horatio says, what makes the green hill so beautiful? It's not the mountain peak or the stately elm. It's the carpet of Kelly green grass composed of little innumerable blades. Oh, it's the small things that a great life is made up of. Whoever thinks that only great things will produce a great life will find little in the Bible to admire or copy. Martin Luther once said that holiness is hidden in offensively ordinary tasks. That's, that's fruit. But there's another word in here. It's the word crucify. That is a challenge. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God's job is producing fruit. Our job 
is crucifixion. You're not only a farmer, but you're called to be an executioner. You take those fleshly deeds that Paul has mentioned earlier, and you march them outside the city of your life, and you strip them down, and you nail them to that cross, and you let them hang naked so that everyone can see envy for what it is, and sensuality for what it is, and anger for what it is, and strife for what it is. You take that hammer and you put the nail in Envy's palm and you drive it through and you hear it scream and you hear it beg and you keep hammering because you know God is working a miracle in that death. For from that decomposed heap, God's implanted word is causing to grow paradise. The Garden of Eden. That's right. The paradise, Garden of Eden of your lives. What we need to be asking is not, not what God wants us to do five years from now. Rather, will I obey God now? In this moment, will, the, will I stop the fantasy as it starts, now, will I pray instead of checking my phone again? Will I refuse my eyes a second glance? Will I, bring, will I bring peace into the room now or chaos? Will I become a toxic wasteland or will my life nourish others? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Presence not principles, produces disciples. I love our series logo because it's an orchard of almond trees. So the image of Galatians 5 is not one person having an ornamental tree in their backyard. Rather, it's an orchard, it's a field, it's a vineyard. It's, it's, it's a farm of nourishing food, growing year-round, a congregation that, that year-round produces the personality traits of Christ. And to possess these is not to possess something, but to be something. And the simple commission says, look to Christ, be in awe of Christ, Pay attention to Christ. Put Christ first so that when people doubt God's existence and are frustrated by the divisiveness of this world, they enter into our gathering and they sense the quality of our lives produced by the very life of God. And they realize there is a God. Tell me his name. And, and we're ready. For out of his great love, Christ, who for the joy set before him, became our peace as he suffered in patience. And out of the kindness and goodness and gentleness of his heart, his faithfulness, driven by self-control, led him to death for us. But on that glorious Easter morn, 
His Father raised him as first of the new creation, and he has flooded us with his Spirit. And when the Spirit's produce flows through our lives, we are fully human. You are never more fully human than when the Spirit's fruit is flourishing and growing in your life. I'll say it one more time. Presence, not principles, produces disciples. Amen.